The text for the sermon this afternoon comes from 1 Corinthians 7, and um, I'm not going to be able to focus on absolutely everything that's contained in 1 Corinthians. It's like a, a lengthy chapter with a lot of different account and advice that Paul is giving, but uh, I want us to, to consider uh, 1 Corinthians 7 as really a call to faithful service of Christ in our relationships. Paul has counsel regarding singleness, he has counsel regarding marriage, but all that counsel is, is in that of, of 1 Corinthians and Paul's counsel to 1 Corinthians to do all to the glory of God. And so I want us to read um, this chapter. Um, we'll read all 40 verses. We obviously touched on verses 10 through 16 this morning, but uh, I'll, I'll read those again here. Um, Hear God's word as we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she part, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. The husband is not his wife. For the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband, who, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your cheek unclean, but now, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so ordained in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not become, not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters that each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not con be concerned about it. But if you can be, be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord. Yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loose. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. 
But even if you do marry, you have sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, that from now on even those who have wives should be as those as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as nothing, as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she might be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to marry to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. I think I also have the Spirit of God. In the last three months, we have covered quite a few different topics and passages pertaining to the subject of marriage. Consider the roles of husband and wife, with husbands being the leader and wives being the helper. We consider the calling of husbands to love their wives and wives to be submissive to their husbands. There are many different exhortations from scripting to one's calling in this life whether as a husband, whether as a wife, or uh, whether as a single. And speaking as a fellow sinner, it can be difficult to faithfully persist in these callings. In Exodus 17, we're told the historical account of Israel fighting against the Amalekites in Rephidim. These Amalekites came upon Israel and attacked them, and and Moses directed Joshua to go to war against them, but he himself would go up upon a mountain and raise his rod in prayer to the Lord. And so long as Moses raised the rod, the Israelites would win the battle. But if he dropped his hands, Israel would start losing. This was uh, really a type of our spiritual life. So long as we rely upon, as we keep our eyes fixed upon Christ, have victory. We will persevere in, in faithfully living out the callings that God has called us to. We need persistence in our calling. We need persistence that is absolutely dependent upon the grace of God. In Hebrews 12, we read. Paul exhort the church to run the race of faith. They are to do so diligently and intentionally, 
with the careful consideration of an athlete. They are to lay aside every weight and sin which slows them down. With the diligent perseverance of the saints of all, they are to look constantly at the one who gives them strength. They are to look to the author and finisher of their faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. As you seek to give glory to God in your station and calling, whether married or single, this must be your endeavor, that you would look upon Christ, that you would gain your strength and your hope from Him and Him alone. This is the thrust of Paul's counsel here in 1 Corinthians 7. He is calling the church to faithfulness to God because they're in danger of departing from what God's Word said. They're in danger of of fashioning for themselves a, a new morality, a morality that was not based upon God's law. They're in danger of not being faithful in their calling. And so Paul urges them very specifically and often with minutia, dealing with, with very particular matters, he encourages them that they are to remain faithful. They are to seek God's word and put their lives in subjection to what God has commanded. And so let us consider God's word this afternoon as we find it in First Corinthians 7. Striving by the grace of God to be faithful to our callings. First, I want to urge you to persevere in faithfulness in whatever marital calling the Lord has placed you in. Whether you are a husband or a wife, whether you are married to a believer or an unbeliever, God has called you to be faithful in serving Him. Paul says in verse 17 of our text, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. God has distributed unique gifts to each believer. Regardless of what those are, they are to faithfully employ them. And this calling to faithfulness is not something that was just peculiar to the Corinthian church. It was not just something for, for that particular time and culture that a church found itself in. Paul said, and so I ordain in all the churches. This is the universal call of all believers because their whole life is to be devoted to the glory of God and in subjection to God's word. And this is uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 through 31, which you remember was our call to worship last week. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, glories in the Lord. This is the thrust of Corinthians, the book of Corinthians. It is the glory of God. It is how we order our lives such that we can give glory to God. And this means that we are to seek first and foremost obedience to the commandments of God, regardless of our feelings in a particular situation, regardless of, of what our desires might be, we are to obey God. Paul says in our text, 
Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain the same calling in which he was called. Keeping the commandments of God is what matters. That can be a hard and difficult thing when we're in that marriage relationship and we have these desires that I want fulfilled. I have these thoughts that I I want uh, implemented in my marriage. Yet, keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Our wills must be made subject to God's word. Whether it's comfortable for us or not, we must be obedient to God's calling in our lives. And you might ask Paul here, you know, he's talking about circumcision. What does this really have to do with marriage? It seems, in a sense, to be a digression from the topic of marriage. What Paul is saying is that if we are in a particular state in this life, we should seek to remain faithful in that state, not ask how we can get out of it. You can perhaps understand the temptation that there was for those who were uncircumcised. There's a temptation there for those who are uncircumcised to become circumcised. After, after all, those who are circumcised in, in the first century were, were those to, who had the, the covenants it was those who had the promises of God. It was those who had the promises and the types and shadows of the Old Testament. And maybe the thought was that, well, these people are, are more spiritual. And if I want to be more spiritual, well, maybe I should go and get circumcised. But Paul says, don't be worried about that. If, if you are thinking that, you're, you're asking yourself the wrong question. You're, you're thinking the wrong thought. This is a distraction from the obedience I'm calling you to. And we can quickly see how this has very particular application for marriage. If you find that your husband stopped wondering if you could have more faithfully served God as a single or married to, to a different wife, serve God in your current calling, with your current gifts. Similarly, if you are a wife and are wondering if you could have served God better if you married a different husband or, or remained single, stop having vain speculations. Serve God where he has placed you. Seek to put your life in conformity to what Paul speaks of in Corinthians. Paul says in verse 24, Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Here Paul gives us encouragement on how we are to remain faithful, even in the difficult callings we find ourselves in. Brethren, let each one remain with God. The way we remain faithful is if we remain with God, if we abide in in God. And this is the counsel that Christ gave his disciples before he left them, to abide in him. Abide in me and I in you. 
This is the key to us living faithfully. It's ever letting our relationship with God, with Christ, ever flow down into our relationship with others. When we prize our relationship with Christ, making that a priority. When we seek to live our lives in obedience and service to God in light of the gospel, in light of, of what God has done for us, gives us the grace to persevere in that. Yet because of our sinful flesh, this can often be difficult. We can regularly have the temptation to be discontented or even lazy in our callings. Say there are troubles in your marriage, or there can be the huge contentment to just let things lie. Rather than seek to deal with our sin, which will take work, which will take repentance, which will take the confession of our sin, not just to God, but to others as well, which will take study, we can find it much more easy and comfortable to sit back and, and live with the trouble that we do have. It's much easier at times to maintain the status quo than to shake things up and start living in conformity to what God's Word says. But that is not to be our response to God's teaching on marriage. We are to Remain faithful in whatever station and calling the Lord has placed us in. There have been points throughout this series on marriage that you have been convicted regarding your own marriage. You must strive to work out such repentance and change in your life. It's far too easy to just let things be the way they are with your marriage relationship. We can grow far too comfortable with our sins, but such laziness in the pursuit of holiness will lead to greater sin and greater trouble. Instead, as the Lord has called us, so we must walk. Sins that are not dealt with will always spiral. They never. We, we like to think, well, I can just live with this sin and... It'll just, you know, remain the same level. Uh, but that's never true. Undealt with sin will always spiral. It will always grow. It descends into even deeper and darker sins. And oftentimes that, that ascent is, is very slow, almost imperceptible, and so we, we don't even think about it. We don't realize how far we have gone. If you were to drive from Denver to Oklahoma City, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think much of it. For Yes, it's a, a long drive, about I think about 12 hours. But for the most part, it's a pretty smooth drive through farm fields. But it's actually a descent of over 5,000 feet. And sometimes our decline into sin is like that. It's barely perceptible. We don't even recognize how far we've gone down. And so we need somebody to wake us up, to point out our sin. We need God's Word to speak to us. And yet when God's Word speaks to us, we must not ignore it. We must hear what it says and live in light of what it says. And when God's Word says that we've sinned in our marriage relationships, when God's Word tells us that we have not walked faithfully, 
in our callings. We must deal with that by repenting, by seeking God's forgiveness. It also be the temptation to discontentment in our calling. And by that I mean we can be sinfully discontent with the station God has called us to be in. We can just be discontent that God has not yet provided us with a spouse. With covetousness and idolatry, we can yearn for a spouse and let such uh, a search consume our entire person life and every relationship we have with somebody. But we can also be discontent with the spouse that God has given us. This is something I regularly see in the counseling room. A spouse uh, brings their spouse into counseling because they're the problem and they want the counselor to go and change them. They're not willing to work on issues themselves. Such is discontentedness with God's calling. We must be going to be discontent. We should be discontent with with our own lack of holiness, our own zeal for the Lord, our own failures to walk in accordance with God's law. As Paul says here, we must faithfully strive to walk in our callings. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. God in his grace, God is our heavenly Father and has distributed a certain gift and a certain calling to each person. He has placed them specifically where they are for a specific purpose because he knows that that is what is needed for their sanctification, for their growth. We must not be discontent with that, but instead of asking, well, and and wishing, well, I wish my circumstances were different. I wish maybe I was married, or I wish maybe I was married to a different person. Instead, we should be asking, how can I serve God where he has placed me? How can I keep the commandments of God in this particular situation? How can I best give glory to the one who has saved me in this particular situation? Now, a particularly difficult area of faithful walking for the Corinthian church was the area of sexual purity. Thus, Paul spent specific time calling the church to Christ-honoring faithfulness in sexual relationships. He did this because a rightly orientated, intimate life is key to faithful service of God in relationships. It's key to our right perspective of others. It's key to our honoring and loving our neighbor, even as we love ourselves. But this was a significant problem for the Corinthian church. It was greatly troubled by a lot of sexual immorality. Paul, in an earlier portion of this letter, had to call out to the Corinthian church for allowing an incestuous man to a fellowship in the church. In the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul had urged the the Corinthians to flee fornication because it is a sin against one's own body and sacrilegious use of one's own body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
This instruction was very needful for the Corinthian church. The, the culture that it found itself in is, is not actually that distinct from our current culture. Yes, there's, there's some major distinctions, but uh, it was, uh, the city of Corinth was very much a sex-crazed culture. It was a Roman colony that had a high regard for the worship of pagan deities. And from that, that worship came all sorts of lewdness and immorality. Fornication was a very commonplace. And it, it seems as though the Corinthian church uh, responded to the looseness of their culture by saying marriage itself. Well, maybe the issue is marriage itself. Maybe marriage itself is a corrupt, sinful institution. And we know that in Roman culture, marriage was often not valued. Husbands and wives were, were both free to divorce. They didn't even have to have a reason to divorce, but they could just go and for, for any cause and separate from their spouse. And this was very regularly practiced, and it led to all sorts of broken relationships and sexual sin. And some in the Corinthian church, seeing this, evidently responded by saying that it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This is, this is something that's good. Mar- marriage isn't appropriate. It's, it's better not to marry. Remain single. Sounds arguing celibacy is the path to true godliness. And with this teaching being advocated in Corinth, those who struggled with sexual desire suddenly found themselves tempted and they sinfully expressed those desires through fornication. Paul combats this sinful overreaction and even futile reaction by saying, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband's. With that statement, Paul is setting the record straight as to what the biblical principles of marriage are. Paul is addressing that that wrong sentiment that it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And so Paul very clearly affirms the goodness of marriage in this passage, especially the intimate relationship that exists between a husband and a wife. This intimate relationship is not somehow the result of, of a fallen world, but is part of what it meant from the beginning to be husband and wife. And we should not read Paul here as saying that just because of sexual immorality, men and women should marry. That's that's not what he's saying. Marriage is not simply uh, a restraint upon sin. That would go very clearly against the teaching of other passages in Scripture, like uh, Proverbs 5, where intimacy is uh, said to be a very important aspect of a marriage relationship. But amid a pagan, sexually crazed culture, it is needful for Paul to affirm that marriage is indeed a helpful restraint upon sexual desires, sinful sexual desires. That is why he says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. While the Corinthian church was loose and free in sexual relations, Paul says, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. In other words, there are to be no open relationships. There is to be no adultery, no fornication. But each spouse is to have intimacy with their married partner and their married partner alone. And this is part of what it means for Christians to live with the gift that the Lord has distributed to each one. This is part of what it means for God 
sorry, for Christians to walk as God has called them. Some could read what Paul says in, in verses 17 through 23, that, well, I, I'm single now, and therefore I should remain single, even though I don't have difficulty with sexual immorality. I should, I should just be single because, well, I'm supposed to remain in the station that, that God has called me to. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying if you don't have the gift of singleness, get married. For it's better to marry than for you to burn with passion. Live within the calling that you have, with a gift that God has distributed to you. Do not make your walk in faith. Do not make perseverance in your faith harder on yourself than it already is. Serve God by pursuing what is needful for you. Observe the commandments of God. Paul continues in exhorting the Corinthian church to faithful walking by telling them that the intimate relationship between husband and wife is a relationship that is equal. Here Paul specifically states that there is an equality that does not exist in other aspects of the marriage relationship. While in other aspects of marriage, the husband is to lead and the wife is to submit here in intimacy, there is to be mutuality. In the intimate relationship, the roles of headship and submission break down. Suddenly the wife has authority over her husband's body. And the husband has authority over his wife's body. And some commentators have, have referred to this as an elegant paradox. Its elegance is very much in the couple having to demonstrate mutual love and concern for each other. Suddenly, it's not about my desires or my feelings, but it's about the other person's desires and needs. This is sacrificial love. In this mutuality, we see the call to faithfulness. If there was not this mutuality, you could quickly see how marriage relationship would break down, how one party in the marriage might abuse this great privilege of intimacy. Instead of the abuse of that privilege, there is to be love, there is to be sharing, there is to be concern and a valuing of one over the other. And further, the intimate relationship between husband and wife is a reminder they are ultimately not their own. Our bodies are not our own. This is shown forth for us in the marriage relationship. Our bodies are under the authority of our spouse. They are not our own. And this teaches us and reminds us that our bodies are ultimately the Lord's. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, every aspect of our relationship, of our marriage relationship, is a reflection of the gospel. Our intimate relationship with our spouse is to reflect that we are not our own, but we are under the authority of God, for we have been bought with the precious price of Christ's blood. So, as we consider how we are to live in faithfulness to our calling in this life, we are to take very careful consideration of our sexual relationships. 
And we are to put those as well into subjection to God's word, that we might glorify God in our spirit and in our body. Paul also encourages the church to persevere in faithfulness to those, with those who are in the situation of singleness. On this note, Paul mentions the goodness of marriage, which we consider this morning, but he also speaks of the goodness of singleness. We notice that in, in verses 7 and 8. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. And then down in verses 25 through 27, we read, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord. Yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose that therefore that this is good because of the present distress. That it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Now is Paul saying that to walk faithfully you have to be single? No, Paul isn't saying that singleness is better than marriage. Rather, Paul is affirming the liberty that we have in Christ and the particular giftedness of each believer. Throughout church history, there have been times and seasons where marriage is either despised or placed too high on a pedestal. During the days of the early church, marriage was quickly becoming something that was despised, where celibacy was being argued uh, because of the influence of Gnosticism, celibacy was being argued this is the way to greater sanctification. It was believed that the more sanctified calling, the more godly calling was to live in singleness, to be celibate for your life. But that's not necessarily the case. Once again, it depends upon the gifts that God has distributed to each one. For some, it might mean that you can serve God better if you are single. But for others, it might mean you can serve God better if you are married. But regardless of which one you are in, which category you are in, you must seek to walk as God has called you to. You must seek to prize the commandments of God. And when Paul is speaking of himself wishing that we're, that all were like himself, he is not saying that singleness is, is the more godly life. Rather, he is recognizing that those who have the gift of singleness have the possibility, like he did, of devoting themselves to a very particular service of the church and of God. After all, he says in verse 32, He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. There's a very particular emphasis that the single person is able to have, is able to devote his time and his energy to the service of Christ's church. But this, once again, does not mean that it is necessarily the better calling. Paul very much argues it's not a better calling it's not even a faithful to pursue singleness if God has not designated that gift to you. We read there in verse 28, But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Thus, Paul is certainly not condemning or slighting marriage. Instead, he is giving counsel regarding the the particular situation the Corinthian church found itself in, and the particular believers in that church found themselves in. 
And from this, we are to understand we are, that we are very carefully examine our calling and giftedness in this life. Diligent and serious Christians are those who understand what their mission in this life is, what particular gifts they have, and they seek to live in light of that, glorifying God as best they can with the particular providences that the Lord has placed them in. For some, there might be singleness. Others might be marriage. But in either context, there must be the faithful and diligent pursuit of Christ. So, in conclusion, whatever our situation, whatever our calling, our desire, our goal must be to glorify God as best we can in our calling. And we fulfill that when we remain with God when we abide with God, when we abide in Christ with our eyes fixed upon the author and finisher of our faith, whether that's in the marriage relationship or if that's as a single person, we must keep our eyes fixed upon Christ, ever reminding ourselves of the gospel, ever hoping in his grace to sanctify us and reform us, even as we seek to Keep the commandments of God in praise and glory to him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have placed each one of us in a particular station and calling with particular gifts. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in the use of those gifts. That whether we are husband or wife or single or even children, Lord, that we would make it our desire to know how we can serve you. Lord, when we see places where we are not serving you, even sinning against you, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful and diligent and intentional in the reform of our life, that we might be ever offering ourselves as a, a most pleasing and acceptable sacrifice of thanksgiving to you. Lord, give us strength to that end, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen.